Welcome to When Pigs Fly, a podcast that uncovers Cincinnati's rich business history dating back from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and the downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply prost to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Allie Martin. And I'm your other co-host, Patrick Bailey. And today, we're going to be talking to Brad Hill. He is one of the founders of American Legacy Tours. Yeah, we've had one of his employees on our podcast previously to give us our history episode. So we're super excited to be talking about the business side of things today. Yeah, you, oh man. Okay, so number one, yes, Craig Manis is one of Brad's top, top tour guides. And he, Craig actually trains all of the tour guides within American Legacy Tour. But as you said, Patrick, we are going to be learning more of the back end of how does one run a tour company, especially coming out of a pandemic, right? That and also for us Cincinnatians, we really yeah. don't think of ourselves as a tourism city. So we'll, it'll be exciting to look deep dive into that. We don't. And I will say, you know, normally we'll we'll bring the history nugget and the history fact at the beginning of our podcast, but we're actually going to wait till the end of it because Brad is such a wealth of knowledge that sometimes if we get him going, he's just going to keep going and we can't stop. So we want to make sure that we give you that entrepreneur background and business knowledge that you're looking for. I'm excited to see what's his history nugget. Ah, me too. Oh my goodness. He, he will spew the facts. I'm looking forward to it. So let's bring him in. Okay, Brad. So first of all, we're happy to have you here. And Patrick and I, at the very beginning of this, talked a little bit about what American Legacy Tours is. But give us a quick lowdown from your perspective, what American Legacy Tours is. Oh, that's hard. Um, (laughs) (laughs) American Legacy Tours is a company that, at its heart, are storytellers. We're owned by, you know, there's a group of six of us that own the company, all of us partners, and we all, all equally own the company. And we're in love with the history of Cincinnati, obviously. And we love to just tell the story of this region and all stories in general. You know, I can tell stories from, you know, if I knew when I was a young man that somebody was going to pay me to talk to them, I would have never gone to college. This is the point, by the way, why we're going to have your history nugget at the end of this segment <laughs> and not at the beginning. Because if you know Brad, Brad can Brad will just continue to tell stories for the next 24 hours. So we're going to wait till the end to, to talk about your history, your favorite Cincinnati history nugget. We go places and my wife tells me, stop tour guiding. <laughs> why do you That's think... That's not a bad thing, though. <laughs> why do you think Allie and I got into podcasting? <laughs> <laughs> stop you know talking. Hey, we yeah, can't. It's, it's, don't fight it, right? Just go with it. So here's the thing. When it comes to people thinking about tours, right? They probably think tourism culture, travel destinations, big cities. What is it specifically about Cincinnati that you and the other founders said, we need to start a touring company? Well, I guess that goes back to high school when uh, Jerry Gels and I, Jerry is the guy who kind of had the idea of American Legacy Tours before it was even a company. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a teacher at Lloyd Memorial High School in uh, Erlanger, and he was teaching, you know, they have a lot of underprivileged kids uh, there that are very high achieving. And so that's what he taught. He taught these kids who were getting free and reduced lunch but yet we're really high achieving academically, you know, Mm. and he wanted to kind of show them the wider world. And so he came up with the idea one night 
while drinking in Matt Adams, as all great ideas start, you know, especially <laughs> at that time, that we should do a tour of Newport, Kentucky. And, you know, it's mm. got a lot of great gangster history. His grandfather, my grandfather, used to tell us stories about that. You know, my grandfather gave me dice. You know, I've got them on the shelf right behind me from some of the local casinos. And, um, you know, tell me all these great stories. And he had those as well from his grandfather. And so he was like, that's what we'll do. We'll, you know, we'll do this tour of Newport, Kentucky, and we'll raise some money and we'll take this group of like 30 students. And I, I can't remember if they were going to Costa Rica or somewhere else. And it was a two week trip. And the first week they did service projects to a one room schoolhouse. And the second week they got to have fun. Mm. And I was like, I'm in. That sounds like a great idea. And this is 2008. And then didn't hear anything, you know, rolls into Economic 2009. downturn also yeah. at that time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big time. Yeah. There was a little, a lot of that going on as well. Yeah. And uh, Jerry calls me up out of the blue and he's like, I'm ready to do it. You know, I get, we got like three weeks and we're going to do this. And I'm like, cool. That's so I was busy. Around. Yeah. Yeah. I was really busy at the time I was traveling. I was a, uh, an account representative for a company called Cody, C-O-T-Y. We had just bought all of the beauty brands from Procter and Gamble and we oh, were wow. going through that. And before that they had bought a division of Unilever, which is how they, and how they got me. And so, you know, I had a $5 million sales territory, a bunch of different states. I was traveling all the time. I had a young son at the time. So it was one of those things where, you know, I kind of showed up the week that it was going to happen. And yeah. we all got together and we went over the script really quickly. And we're like, all right, we're good. We read through it. You know, um, he had done, uh, and his family, his dad particularly, had done like 200 interviews. Mm -hmm. And, and we, a lot, you know, a lot of different people with six people, you can really kind of spread the work out. His, his sister, Laura, had done a ton of really great graphic work for us. So it all kind of naturally organic fell together for this great cause. The one thing we didn't think about was ticketing systems. Yeah. That's kind of important. <laughs> yeah, money's kind of important for any yeah. business. <laughs> money's important, ticketing's important. So, you know, you know, we sent out some press releases and the Saturday that we opened up, which was Memorial Weekend, uh, the Saturday before Memorial Day in 2009, we had like 1500 people show up. Holy cow. Oh yeah. my gosh, 1500 people? They're wrapped around the block. Well, thank God we were starting at the what is now today the Dueling Piano Bar at the Syndicate, and so they were more than happy to serve people drinks. And so people just went into the bar, started getting food, started getting drinks, and we just grabbed a group of them at a time and took them out on the streets and started doing the walk. And, you know, at first the city of Newport was not super thrilled with what we were doing. That's not suspicious or anything, right? No, hey, no. just a crowd and a mob of 1,500 people show up at this one location. <laughs> hey, everyone sit tight. We're all going to take a tour. It seemed super organized. Yeah, yeah, because it wasn't. We were just like, oh, we didn't know. All of you were going to show up and pay cash too, by the way, you know, for, cause it was $10 a ticket back then. It fits and with the gangster. It did totally fit. Yeah. And we're all, and we're all dressed. I mean, you got to picture this. We all got fedoras on. We had bought at the party source plastic fedoras to give to the, to the crowd, which ran oh, out fun. after like the second tour. We also give people context, right? This Newport tour, which is your initial tour yep. is, is the gangster tour. Is the gangster tour. It's all about the gangsters of Newport. Yep. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So you have, Guy, all of us, you know, tour guides, and it was, you know, Jerry and I and my and our other buddy Dave and another guy named Mac, and we're all dressed up, you know, black shirts and black dress pants and a white tie, you know, and then these, you know, crappy plastic fedoras, and then we're handing out plastic fedoras to, you know, people who have been drinking now for several hours inside the syndicate, and then we're walking around and we're telling them great history of Newport, Kentucky, which nobody knew, you know, and it was, it was deeply personal because of our, our connections with our families, but also people in Newport had no idea what, what was going on. You know, as you said, it's the, it's the financial crisis, you know, half the businesses on mama street had shut down before we even started, you know? And so we ran that tour from May all the way through October 
and then we we shut it down because we're like, who wants to walk around in the cold? You know, that's mm-hmm. stupid. Yeah, I don't want to. Of... Yeah, well, we were totally wrong on that. Interesting. <laughs> and then the other thing that happened was a bunch more businesses on Mama Street failed after we shut down because they had become kind of dependent upon the people on our tour, the regular scheduled, you know, because we eventually got our act together and had regular tour times and tickets and, you know, all that basic kind of stuff that we weren't thinking about. And then they failed and they were reaching out to us and they were like, God, would you please start bringing these people back? We, that was our lifeline. Was there any issue from the city standpoint, the city of New Newport saying, hey, you know, you need to have a permit to do this or what, what did that look like? There wasn't any permitting or anything like that because, you know, you're you're in city streets, you know, so yeah. you're allowed to, you know, do that. They didn't have any ordinances about, you know, tour guides or anything like that. We checked into all that stuff. Now, whether they wanted us to dredge up the past is a totally different story. And mm. uh, Mayor Peluso, who was over there, was he was he was supportive because he understood the economic piece. And he I called him the hardest working mayor in America because after our first weekend, before our tour groups would go out, he would go out and literally sweep the streets ahead of our tour to wow. make sure there was no trash. He cared that much about his town and that's really impressive and you fall in love with them you get to meet the business owners and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff as well and so yeah they were there were some people who didn't you know because newport has worked really hard to clean up its image from the sin city days of of the 70s and the early 80s and and even before that which is what most people remember you know the cd part of newport which is totally unearned on their part and so they kind of thought we were going to do that and we were going to come in and we were going to make fun of them. And that's not mm. what we did. You know, if you've been on any of our tours, we are storytellers. I, I tease people and say, at the core, we're in the oldest business that has ever existed. And people always get a kick out of that. And I'm like, get your mind out of the gutter. It's storytelling, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because this is something that humans, it, you know, we talked about, you know, the need to talk and to communicate. And with COVID, we've all kind of, I think we all feel Mm -hmm. that even more now, you know, the need to be around other human beings and to hear a story, you know, and, and have, and have that story based on something that you can relate to. It's, it's primal. It's as primal as sitting around a fire and eating something. Yeah. And uh, here's the thing. I'm sure there are a lot of bad storytellers out there though, right? So what does it take to be a good storyteller? And with that, right, this, these are stories revolved around our past, around our history. So where are you finding this information? Because we live in such a digital information driven world. How can you trust that narrative as to what you're finding. So I know that's kind of a loaded question there, but oh, sure. do you guys just go on Wikipedia? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, because that's yeah, exactly. That's one of my favorites. When people are like, you know, you got that wrong. It's on Wikipedia. And I'm like, oh well, clearly. You know, <laughs> like, and you I'm married to change that. And I'm married to a librarian, so trust me. Research is is important, you know, to us. And we were always geeks. I mean, you know, you know, Jerry and I and Dave and, you know, and the other founders, you know, you know, when people were going to Daytona Beach for spring break, we were going to Boston and doing the Freedom Trail. Or going to going to DC and doing the Smithsonian. That's who we are. Explains a lot. And, and yeah, we yeah. It, you know, I we make no bones about it. We're geeks. We love it, <laughs> and we love Cincinnati history. And, and you know, I grew up with my family telling me history, like from my grandfather telling me mm. his time. And you know, when I was young, I thought there were big fish tales. And then as I got older and started reading books and and going to the library and researching stuff, there's so much information about Cincinnati that is locked away that you know, has just kind of been forgotten. I think Mm. a lot of people I talk to, it's interesting when you talk to people who didn't grow up in this area, they seem to have a deeper appreciation for how special this area is than people who grew up with it. Because I think we were kind of desensitized to it 
and so I was never desensitized to it because I, I was never a good student. I was always very entrepreneurial. And so, you know, storytelling was really the only way my parents could get me interested in anything academic. But to answer that question, you know, what does it take to be a oh, good storyteller? Sure. You know? What it takes to be a good storyteller is, is it's very much like any other service industry thing. So first of all, you have to have a good basis of research. You need to go out and you have to spend the time in the libraries. You have to actually go back to primary sources. You know, and, you know there's so many times that you read, you know, we're working on a, on a, on a, on a thing right now about the Emory Theater. And, you know, we've learned about different things where some actually really old historic books, historic, you know, books on history from the 1870s and 1880s are wrong. Because they mm, wow. didn't base it on a primary source. And so we go back. And in, in Newport, there's a classic example of that. We tell a story about the Farley brothers. And if you go back to some of the early reports of that, they're reported as Rip and Taylor Farley as father and son. And when you actually go back and go back and go back, you find out that they were brothers. It just wow. was an older brother and a younger brother. And we found that out also, too, because one of our owners actually sat on his knee at the Shilatos because later in life, this gangster was Santa at the Shilatos <laughs> no. downtown Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. It's and it's one of those circle. where it comes full circle, you know, and that's the Cincinnati that, thing of all time. Exa- yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's the great Cincinnati thing too, is, you know, we're, a, we're a little town, you know, we're a little town that punches way above its weight. And when I say just Cincinnati, I also mean the region, obviously Covington and Newport as well. You know, the tri-state area is really this, this really remarkable place. So you, you, you got to start with primary sources. You got to start with research you gotta and the other thing too is go talk to people you know when we Mm. did the gangster tour we conducted over 200 interviews of people who actually lived it you know we flew we did a documentary of it then ended up on public television we actually flew the film crew and some interviewers out to las vegas to talk to family members who you know had lived in cincinnati and what's the name of the documentary uh it's uh, the newport gangsters you know, I don't know if we, it's still around. It, it, yeah, we we didn't know what we were doing at the time. <laughs> yeah, like like most things. You know, it's like, hey, this sounds cool. Let's let's do this. Somebody, but you somebody did came it. To That's us. the yeah, thing. But we did it, and it didn't work out. Yeah. You know, like you know, we got into it, and then we're like, they were like, okay, now we need the budget for animation, and we're like, what? <laughs> so there's <laughs> not. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's you, you learn as you go along. But it, it the thing was, we thought it was terrible, and then we showed it to uh, KET public television and they were like oh my god can we show this on on our and it plays fairly re- fairly regularly on on KET even to this day luckily when you start to do what we do people immediately see like what the double bottom line it not only has a benefit that to our company and to our employees and to our customers but it also benefits the neighborhood you know mm-hmm. tourism is this thing that is bigger than just itself. You know, it, it reminds people who they are in their community. It helps build pride back that can sometimes be lost over generations in an area. Mm. And then, and then it also too, it brings in, you know, it's one of those things that, like we said, you know, we discount it, we grew up here, but then when, a, you know, a bunch of strangers come in and they're like, Oh my God, this place is amazing. You kind of walk a little taller, mm. you know, and you, you, you know, your shoulders go back a little bit and there's an economic benefit to it as well. You know, tourism, people don't realize this, but tourism is over a $5 billion industry for the greater Cincinnati area. It employs 80,000 people in our wow. area. So think about that with COVID mm. right now. It's, it's incredible how that's been destructive. This kind of leads to my few questions. First one being, how does one come up with an idea for a tour company Comparing, like, I don't know, just comparing ourselves to like Charleston or Boston, like you said, you being from the city, we we really don't think (laughs) about ourselves being this like very historic place and deserving of you know historic tours. I'm 
mostly think back to, you know, Boston, Philadelphia, Charleston, and Savannah, you know, kind of East Coast. But where did, I guess, like, okay, yeah, let's give it a try here. I think it kind of came from the fact that, you know, we were all lovers of history. And mm-hmm. we had always gone to other cities to do these like you said, these tours, you know, the Freedom Trail in Boston, Savannah, Charleston, you know, all these great little places all over that have, you know, have these great historic things. And then, you know, we knew the history here locally. And you have people that have always kind of fanned the flame. And, and then I knew you had Chris Frucken on um, that you got yeah. on your podcast. I'm a big fan of the show and I've listened to all the episodes now oh, at this point. So, thanks. Chris, it's interesting. If you go back and Google, you know, he was the president of the, of the OTR Chamber of Commerce in 2001, probably one of the darkest periods in Over the Rhine's history. Yeah. And when he was interviewed about the future of Over the Rhine. In 2001, he said, this place will be Charleston and Savannah. It will be a tourist destination. Wow. People will live here. You know, He's and so we humble about that. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, he, he predicted 2001 when everyone else thought that the neighborhood was gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it was irretrievable at that point. And, and, and so there's always been people who knew this, you know, and who kept this flame of all this amazing history that Cincinnati did. And when you start to go to these other places and then you know some of the history and you don't even have to know all of it, it's just a little bit. As soon as you start to scratch the surface in Cincinnati, you realize, oh my God, it goes so deep. And then you're like, how could you not tell these stories? What brings people to Cincinnati? You just said, you know, tourism's a $5 billion industry. You know, when I go on vacation. Are we missing something? (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, (laughs) I'm not thinking, like, let's just hang out in the tri-state area. I'm thinking, like, let's go to the beach. Let's go to, you know. (laughs) Totally. No, I I get that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're not Vegas. You know, we're not getting 60 million people a year, you know, coming to Cincinnati. But I think what we've kind of what we already talked about, you know, it's not only the history that I think we discount, but it's also look at the zoo that we have. Yeah. Probably one of the best zoos in the entire country, you know, and one of the, and the second oldest in the entire country as well. And Mm -hmm. the first one that was urban like that, you know, it's an amazing thing. People outside of our area, we just think that's a zoo. Go to zoos in other cities and you're like, that's a zoo? Really? You know, it makes They don't have Fiona. Yeah. Yeah. They do not have Fiona. You know, they do not. I mean, it is not as nice. Same thing with the art museum. Same thing with the museums that we have as well. You know, we grew up with all of these great things. And so we're just like, oh, well, that's just, that's Cincinnati. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. we're a, you know, we're not a top five city. We're a top 25 city, you know, in terms of population. So we kind of think of ourselves as small. But then when you look at those kind of things, you're like, oh my God, we have really first class things. And so that is really kind of what brought a lot of tourism to Cincinnati. And then you've also got you've got the oldest team in baseball here. You know, yeah. you've got a huge region of people, you know, that want to come in and they want to see that you've got the Bengals, you know, now you've got FC Cincinnati, you know, you have all of these great things. And the other thing too, is, you know, you've got deep, deep roots. People from Cincinnati put down deep roots. I don't care where yes. they moved to. I was talking to a guy earlier this week that lives out in Denver now. And he lives uh, like right around the corner from Jim Borgman, the cartoonist from the Enquirer who's out there. And there's like this little enclave of Cincinnatians that all live in Denver and they all just talk about how great Cincinnati is to all (laughs) the people in in Denver. Denver. Yeah, exactly. We have that out there, you know, and you have, you know, Procter & Gamble has brought people in. Kroger's has brought people in. Cincinnati at one point had more Fortune 500 companies per capita than any other city in the United States. And then what happened? Well, we're still up there, you know? I mean, we still punch way above our, our weight. All you have to do, if, if you want to just see that in, because I'm a very visual person. I like mm-hmm. to tell stories, but I'm also a visual person. Just look at our skyline. Just go online and Google skylines of, of similar cities, Not similar size cities. Mm. And, and you'll see, you know, our skyline, our sky, we have more skyscrapers. Our downtown is bigger than a lot of other cities, our same population size. And that is a testament to the business 
yeah. you know, aspect of Cincinnati. And that's always been there. And that's been there going back all the way to the 1800s, you know, that we've been this, this bigger than what we appear kind of place. Well, I think I'd love to kind of hit back to American Legacy Tours too, right? And the expansion as as Cincinnati grew, you guys are also growing. This is a two-part question. You know, you started with the Gangster Tour. Talk a little bit about what you've evolved into, but then also when you first started, were there any competitors there? There probably were. And if we started as a traditional company, we would have kind of looked at the marketplace and said, you know, there were competitors. There were more competitors in kind of the not-for-profit space. Tourism mm. was always seen to be kind of sleepy. It's If you look at it around the country, it's very, very broken up. It's not a very consolidated you know, mm-hmm. industry as a whole. Lots of mom and pops, you know, lots of people as you get to know people in the industry and things like that. There, it's not something that's taken over by these giant corporations. And so some, that was something, me being a business guy, that that was very appealing to me because I was like, okay, well, this is, this is a, a fertile field and open ground, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of blue ocean that we can kind of go in and start to expand to. Cause once we got into it and realized, oh my gosh, this is, this is a great business to be in, you know, and it's fun, which is, you know, the best of both worlds. And I, I guess before you get into the expansion of it, then what was it that set you guys apart? Because you, you just said, you know, you had these little mom and pop tour groups, So what allowed you to differentiate yourself from them? I'm willing to bet that the founders of American Legacy Tours have probably taken more tours in more cities than probably anyone else that I've ever come in contact with. And so, you know, we didn't realize that, you know, there's that old saying that luck is where preparation and opportunity meet, right? Yeah. You know, we didn't realize that all of our geeky behavior of doing the things that we loved was preparing <laughs> us for that. So, you know, for other people, like, you know, if you walked up to somebody in the street and you're like, Hey, how do you be, a, you know, how do you be a tour guide? We already knew because we'd been on hundreds of tours, good so ones, bad ones. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we had seen all, we had seen the best and the worst all over the United States and, you know, and Europe as well. And so when we went to start that, we had internalized so much of that, we already knew it was good. And that became a problem later when we started actually like hiring employees because we're like what do you mean you're not all awesome tour guides out of this did you not all just go to hundreds of tours like what do you mean you went to the beach and partied and drank you didn't you you. didn't spend spring break in on the freedom trail you know looking at (laughs) esoteric little pieces of architecture and little traces of history and then going to the library and looking up even more what's wrong with you we were just like, what do you mean? You don't just eat and sleep all this stuff? You you have other interests? You know, like, if you ask me about music, and my wife makes fun of me all the time, I'm like, "There, what, there's music? You know? Because <laughs> I, I was listening to books on tape when they were cassettes. Well, okay, so then, you know, saying, hey, what do you mean you didn't go on these tours? When you were on these tours, what were what were the traits that made a good tour guide and a bad tour guide? And I guess you can just I guess to it. add on to that, what yeah, which ones did you take to when you were interviewing for your own tour guides? <laughs> so, a good tour guide is someone who is is someone who's a good storyteller. You know, we used to say it was like the Vince Vaughn effect. You know, if you ever watched the old Vince Vaughn movies, you know, Vince Vaughn was kind of you know, yeah. like kind of larger than life, and he was tell these great stories. So you you have to have great energy. You have mm. to really energy, love Brad, energy. I know energy. It's a big. It's a hard. It's a hard thing for me to do when I'm on camera. But if you just want me to get in front of, like, if you want me to talk to five people, I get super nervous. If you want me to get in five thousand people and talk, I'm fine. And it, like, and interesting. It, and not every, everybody's different with the public speaking. So it's one of those things where you have to love the subject matter. You can't teach that. 
you know, like we've all been on the tour where they pull out the index cards or the sheet of paper in front of them mm. and they read off of it, so you know, in 1824 in this building, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's like, oh my God, I'm back in fifth grade or, so you know, know, your stuff is, you, is number you, one. Know your stuff. And the other thing is, is be fun and you have to like mm. people. So it's an interesting combination that you have to do. And we kind of internalized it by all the experience that we had. And so we didn't really know that we were training ourselves for this, but we were, mm. you know, with it. And so those are the things. So you have to have a passion for the subject matter because you can't fake that passion. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to really enjoy people and be okay with interacting with them. And then the other one is, and this is a very, very important piece that's often overlooked, and we look for it when we screen for guides, is you cannot be the hero. What do you mean by that? Probably anybody, if you've gone on a lot of tours, you've been on a tour and you realize that all of this is about them. Interesting. Right? We've all been on that tour before. You know, you can tell, I can tell it within two seconds. Oh, this guy was a frustrated actor or this, you know, girl was a stand-up comedian and it didn't work out. And so, you know, she's trying to work out material or the story's secondary to that. You know, you're missing what the actual message of the tour that you're giving in the, in the historical lesson. Yep. And that's is, where the, is the story. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the passion comes in and passion's a double-edged sword as well, because you have to love the subject matter so that it's more important than you are. You know, you're there mm. as the guide. You're not the hero of the story. You're there to guide the people along with you, but you have to make it entertaining in a way that people will actually accept it. You know, we call it the head fake internally. That's what we call it, you know, and the head fake. Yeah. It's like we're all, we were basketball. I played basketball growing up and you know, the head fake, you know, with this is that, you know, we are going to present information in such a way that you don't realize that we're teaching you something until Mm. it's all over with. And then you walk away and you're like, oh my God, I know this story and this story and this story and this story. And it's all amazing. But you were entertained the entire time and we did it in such a way that you weren't bored to tears like you were when you were stuck in some boring history class. You know, and the way you do that is, is you focus on fun and you focus on the human element. And that's your product at the end of the day, right? Because what you're doing, you know, you're not selling cell phone cases. You are, your product is the guide of the story. And that has to be top notch for you, yep. I imagine. Yeah. And there's and there's no patent, you know, or copyright mm-hmm. on history. So everybody has equal access to it. So it's a very level playing field. So you're going to have to compete as a business on the other topics, not on the content itself, because everybody has equal access to it. So you have these main characteristics that you look for when hiring. How do you either teach those characteristics or do you like put them through a training process or do you have them do like mock tours? Like how does one prepare (laughs) a tour guide? And the answer to that question, Patrick is yes. So, (laughs) so, you know, first of all, if you've managed people for a long time, you realize very quickly that you, you hire for personality and temperament and then you train for skill. Mm. Mm. You know, so if you, if somebody is just really good at talking in front of a crowd, but doesn't have all the rest of it, you know, you are going to have a much harder time teaching them to be, you know, compassionate, you know, and passionate, you know, compassionate about other people, liking to talk to other, other humans and passionate about the subject matter. So if they're just has great public speaking skills, that, that means nothing if you don't have these other things. So, you know, we try to meet people and, you know, and we've had tour guides that we hired who were not great storytellers in the beginning and, you know, and we kind of work them along because you can learn that piece. You can learn to speak in front of a crowd. You know, you can't learn to be passionate or to care about 
the humans that are around you. That at least not not in the time frame that we can afford to train people. You could do it, but we don't have eighteen years to raise another human. You know. So what is a mock tour? I, I'm still just like fascinated like about training this, but like, what does a mock tour look like? Are you like are you and the other you know original partners like in the group and just like ding ding like if they <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of how it starts yeah no 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 wait, there's there's no cattle prods yeah yeah there's none of that no it's you know when we first started doing tours we were so much harder on ourselves than anyone else i you know before we gave our first public tour for the gangster tour for example in 2009 we probably gave 50 tours to friends and family wow. you know for free before we did that because we wanted it to be perfect you know focus group Pretty yeah, much. if you come on one of our tours, our guides are doing everything from memory. There are no cards, you know. They are passionate about the subject matter. They are friendly. You know, one of our greatest things is we have the best tour guides on the planet. And I will put that up against any city in the country. They are amazing people. And we have, you know, we have had educators, we've had accountants, we have had, you know, international business people. You know, we had a guy on our team that, you know, would do a tour for us and then fly to China for a month and then fly back. You know, he mm. was not doing that because he was making, you know, he was not getting rich, you know, being a tour guide. He loved the topic, you know, and those, like I said, and he, and he was just, and he's an amazing human. And Mm so, you know, those are the things you cannot train people for. And, and he was a good public speaker as well. So sometimes you just hit the lottery, but so it's practice. It's a lot of practice and it's a lot of kind of gently educating people, you know, on, on things like, Hey, how about you do this a little bit differently? You know, the way you said this and, and we've structured in such a way that even the other guides do that. So we do, we're all geeks behind (laughs) me. I, I don't know if you, I can probably pull it out. I've got my Mandalorian helmet that I bought that my son was making fun of me about. He's 14. And, and I was like, yeah, but you don't know. I, I grew up with this. So we, you know, in Star Wars, there's the master and the apprentice, yep. right? Yes. And that's how we train. So there's a master and an apprentice. You have a master guide who has mastered the craft, and then you have an apprentice that goes along with them and helps to learn the craft until they be- can become the master, and then they move into a training role as well. Do you have Padawans you know? too? Um, we don't call them Padawans because we figured that was a little too far, <laughs> but I was really pushing for it. I got I got voted down by the rest of the partners. The, the board was so, like, they, they, The rest of the partners were like, yeah, all right, you pull back a little bit, pull back, you know? So, but so that's how we do it. You know, you hire for temperament, you hire these great people, and then you do a master and apprentice and that's the best way to grow. So yeah, it started off with us in the beginning, not that we were masters, but we had done a lot of tours and then we train people and then those people train people, you know, and all of those kind of things. And, and that's kind of how, how it was able to grow. We've got uh, 24 tour guides now that work for us. And like anything, it's repetition, right? So you Mm -hmm. practice, practice, practice. Now from a business side of things, how, how does a tour guide make, or how does a tour company make money and continue to expand, right? Because unless we have flocking tourists like the Las Vegas of the world, you know, if you take it once, the tour once, you might want to take it again, maybe. But is there is there a, a cap? There probably is a cap. Although, you know, the way we look at it is, you know, you know, the Reds can get 14,000 people, you know, at a ball game, you know, mm-hmm. the Bengals conceivably can get 60,000 if we're lucky if we're lucky right the theoretically anyway you know they can do that so when we look at that and go okay you know 60,000 people you know is a lot of people for a tour company for a walking tour company we have much lower overhead and so there isn't any inventory there's just the human capital Mm -hmm. that you have there and so it's a very very 
different business than a lot of businesses have. So, you know, you don't have inventory costs, you don't have that, but you have a lot of people capital and there's a lot of stuff that goes on and it's, and it's kind of a slow process. So to grow, you have to grow organically. And the best way to do that is through word of mouth. We think, Mm. you know, you can definitely go out there and spend a bunch of money on advertising and tell everybody you're the best. I would prefer that your best friend goes up to you and tells you, oh my God, I took this amazing tour and you've got to go. Because one, you know, they're both expensive, but one's expensive in a way that's not obvious. You know, the advertising piece is expensive. You can go out and spend $5,000 on a billboard. Great. Awesome. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've got it, that's a, that's kind of a way to kind of jump to the top of the line. However, the more expensive piece is that we were dedicated from the beginning of this, that we knew this was going to take years to yeah. accomplish. And we're, and, and we knew it was going to take at least 10 years to reach a critical mass of, of enough people who went on the tour and then told other people how great it was, you know, and that kind of spread. And that's expensive in the time category, not the money category. And we were committed from the very beginning to that strategy. And that's why we named ourselves American Legacy Tours. We have no, no plans to stay just in Cincinnati. Ooh, I was know? just about to ask yeah. you about yeah. that. Now, do you plan on where do you plan on expanding next besides Cincinnati? That's a little confidential. Um, we're looking at a couple different markets. No sneak peek <laughs> to our listeners. Well, you can you can look at the at the map and just realize, you know, and look around. Like I'll give you an example. You know, Cleveland, Ohio, home of the Cleveland mob, you know, mm-hmm. very integral to our story in Newport, Kentucky, has no walking tours about the mob, the Cleveland mob. None. Zero. Indianapolis. Also, and so there's, uh, you know, there's this, and that's what goes back to the whole industry that we had talked about. This industry is very fractured. And so when we did kind of a market analysis, kind of our SWOT analysis, when we finally got our act together and we sat down and we're like, oh my God, you know, there's all these mid-tier cities, you know, where everyone had the same thought that you guys did. And that was, well, tourism's for Charleston and Savannah and New York and New Orleans, you know, but not for Cincinnati or Kansas City or Dayton or Columbus or Indianapolis. And, And my whole thing of that is, is why? And who knows, is it also because Cincinnati does our history just alone, the history of our city probably, and maybe, I can't speak on the history of the other cities, um, so that could be ignorant of me to say, who knows, they might not have as rich of a history to I will, tell. I will tell you this, that it may not be as rich as Cincinnati, because we are, you know, it, it's overwhelming how much history we have. You know, yeah. we joke that Cincinnati is kind of like the secret hit, you know, secret center of the universe. But, <laughs> but I, you know, being a traveling salesman, you know, I had a five state area. So when I traveled around, as you can imagine, when I had time off, I did <laughs> tours, you know, or I walked around and just did my own tour, you know, that there is not a city or a place in the entire United States that you could drop us into that we could not find a compelling story. And yeah. we know this, and I know this without being an expert in the history of all those different places. I know this simply because there were humans who lived there. Yeah. And it goes back to that compassion piece. If you are open and you talk and spend time with people for any amount of time, you start to find out that people are fascinating. Just the average person, you know, is a fascinating person and it's fascinating family history. And so you can go to every city in America and do what we did because there's people there and they have an amazing story. Were they the first at something? No. Probably not. You know, did they have the first steam engine like we did the first, you know, the oldest baseball team? No, they probably didn't. You know, do they have all these other amazing stories that they don't? They they probably don't. But I guarantee you they have a compelling story that if you put it in the right way and tell it in the right way to other humans, those other humans are going to find it compelling and inspiring. Now, I kind of just want to switch gears back to the business side of things. Did you guys just teach you yourselves the business side or did you guys just fake it till you make it kind of thing? 
Well, you know, like I said, we started as, as this fundraiser, you know, and it was very successful. And at the time, I was the only one in the group that wasn't really married at the group. And so all the rest of the, the spouses kind of got together and they were like, hey, you're spending a lot of time away from home. <laughs> While we, you know, we're supportive and all that, maybe you should make money off of this. And, and we had already thought about it. You know, obviously, when you saw all that, all that demand, 1500 people show up from a, a couple press releases, you're like, clearly, there's some pent up demand, right? Yeah. You know, we're not the only ones who love history. I mean, you know, I mean, that's that's pretty obvious. And and so that's when we were like, okay, you know, we sat down and we wanted to kind of get together. And luckily, you know, our group was very diversified. You know, we had people in education. We had people in IT. We had people mm. with graphic design. I am an evil business major from University of Cincinnati <laughs> and Xavier. You know, shout out to both of those. So, yeah, undergrad for UC and then got my MBA at uh, Xavier. And I took every entrepreneurial class that the MBA program program offered. So it took me like another year of a two, my two year program took three years because I just, I, they were like, don't you want to graduate? And I was like, why? <laughs> I like to read stuff. I was like, no, this is fascinating and let's keep going. This is awesome. Plus somebody, I was working for Unilever at the time, which is, uh, you know, a sin to say in, in Procter yeah. & Gamble town, right? You know, but Unilever was a great, great company and they, and they had a bunch of great trainings and stuff. And so they encouraged all of that as well, you know, for it. And so, you know, I was like, no, as long as they're footing the bill, I'm going to stay here and learn as long as as humanly possible. And they've got a great entrepreneurship program at the university, at Xavier University. Yeah. And like you said, there's not a lot of overhead, right, to a tour company. So it is, it's a lot of the, the training, getting the tour guides on the same page, finding the stories that you want to tell. But from, you know, your perspective, you guys are going underground. You have the underground tour, you're going in and out of buildings. What does that look like when you're working with the city? What does that conversation sound like? How do you say, hey, um, can you give me that key to this really old building that no one goes into anymore and that has a lot of historical value? You know, that, that comes down to timing. So, you know, we were very, very lucky in the timing of when we tried to do this. So in 2009, we launched the Gangster Tour. You know, and it was very successful in Newport and people very quickly saw, you know, and there were articles written about us and we got the keys to the city and, you know, people were very appreciative of what we did. And, you know, and, and I'd love to say that that was part of the master plan from the very beginning, <laughs> but it was one of those things where we realized, you know, we were just trying to give the best tour we could. And then when we saw it was helping everybody and filling up restaurants and shops and things like that, and that caught the attention of 3CDC and they mm. reached out to us and mm. they were like, Hey, you know, um, have you considered the, what was just named the most dangerous neighborhood in America over the which is a, a favorite of ours. Do you want to take 1,500 people and walk around this? Around they the were like, they were Let's like, go. please, would you? Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, we were already in, you know, we knew all the history of Over the Rhine. We, you know, I, you know, my mom, when she was a little girl, used to go to a Pentecostal church on mm. Vine Street um, over there, and she grew up in northern Kentucky. And so, you know, we were familiar with that area. You know, my mom's family is from Appalachia, and so there's a long uh, history of Appalachia mm -hmm. in, in Over the Rhine. And so, you know, they've got that familial connection. So we already knew a lot of the great history and all of those kind of things that, that were there. And there was already the brewery district that was doing tours during Bachfest. And so it was just, yeah. it's and, and when you get over there, it's the largest intact historic district in America. It's a jewel, you mm -hmm. know, you know, now it, it was a neglected jewel, but that didn't stop it from being a jewel. So what happens is three CDC talks to us after our first season and says, Hey, would you consider developing some tours and over the Rhine? So we came over to over the Rhine and immediately we knew about the tunnels. We knew about all the great history, you know, all the, you know, there's there's just so many stories that the problem was to how do you cut it down and create a, a, a route and yeah. all of those kind of things. And we met Chris, who was there, and we talked about him being such a big proponent and such a visionary for what Over the Rhine could be 10 years before we even got started. So, we, you know, when you're on the right path, 
as an entrepreneur, things start to fall into place. Not that mm. it's ever going to be easy. It's not. But you get these little signs mm. that like, hey, you're, you know, things are falling into place. This, this is happening part of a larger plan. And so everything kind of fell together. You know, we met uh, the owners of Micah 12V. They were like, absolutely. They're, and that's the greatest part of the entrepreneurial journey is you meet other entrepreneurs. And, you know, I think the, the common misconception from the general public who's never started a business is, is that all business people are these cutthroat animals that'll cut you off at the knees and try to make a dime off of yeah, you. Yeah, that's you, Brad. And, that's you. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it could not be further from the truth. Entrepreneurs are some of the most loving, gracious people you mm -hmm. can have out there, you know, because most of them are not doing it to become wealthy. Yeah, there's the Jeff Bezos of the world and things like that, but most of the people are not driven by that. They're driven by the passion for what they're doing, for the community that they're serving, you know, for their employees, for themselves, you know, to build something. Yeah, they you know? believe in something. They believe in something. And so when you come in and you're like, hey, I believe in something too, they're like, that's awesome. How can I help? Mm -hmm. And over the ride, even in 2009, before, you know, b before Washington Park was renovated, all that kind of stuff, it, we're just walking through the neighborhoods, you know? I was walking through the neighborhood the one time, and this very, very nice lady who lived in the neighborhood came out, and she saw I had a Newport Gangster shirt on, right? And she came <laughs> over here, and she's like, you're not, better be not be talking about gangsters in my neighborhood. And I said, no, ma'am, I'm talking about them across the river. And I said, I said, I'm talking about history over here. And she's like, oh. She took my hand and walked me around the neighborhood for like an hour and a half telling me about it. She was proud of where she lived, Oh, you know? And that's, and, and that's infectious. Those are you the know? moments that you remember too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, and you're like, yeah, and you should be proud to live where, you know, live where we are. There's such a great history to it, you know, and sometimes the history is ugly, but that's, that's okay too. You know, it's, it, as long as you're telling the story of that, it's, I find it very, very comforting. History is one of those things that I find, you know, in all the craziness of like last year and the pandemic, you know, when the pandemic first started, all of us in the company, you know, everyone thought we were crazy. Everyone was like, oh, you know, it's, it's 30 days to flatten the curve. Every within, everyone within American Legacy Tours was telling everyone it's 18 months. And everyone's like, why? And I said, because the pandemic the last time was 18 months, you know, 18, 18, 18, 18, 19, mm. you know? That's how it was. It was eighteen. It was eighteen months. Knowing the past, obviously, I'm sure has helped your business, right? Has has there been? Have have you set up your business at all from anything that you've taken from past history, from your knowledge? You're like, hey, we need to consider X, Y, Z. Even though everybody's doing this, maybe we should do this because history has shown. You bring up a good point on that. We do. We run our business like someone would run their business if they were in the 1800s. Now, now, it's a tour company, and we have the internet, and we have all those kind of things, but culturally, you know, that's where we are. You know, they're, you know it's interesting, it, uh, being in love with history and all that, you realize that some things that we think are static, like morals, some morals are, are static, you know? You know, thou shalt not kill, don't tell mm -hmm. a lie, you know, those kind of things. Those are static. But the rest of morals and expectations of society are very, very fluid. And so, you know, we're in a, in a, in a period of time where it's all about growth, 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 yeah. growth, right? Progress, 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 yep. forward at, at any cost. When you start to read history and you go back to, to older times, to the foundings, you know, to the founding of this country and, and other countries, you know, especially the United States, it, it is not so much about growth. It's about sustainability and it's about survivability. Mm. Mm. When you grow up in a harsher environment where things are a lot harder than they are right now, those things become more important to you. And so like leading into this pandemic, for example, we were in a far, far, far better position than most of the other businesses around us because we had no debt. Zero. 
How did you manage to have no debt? Well, it's super, super complicated. It'll probably take about two or three hours. No, it, it, here's how it was. You work for free for five years and you save every penny you've got. Interesting. It's as simple, was, it's as, simple yeah. as that. That's that's all it is. And that was a priority, you know, and again that goes back to mm. you know, this is not a mercenary mission. We're passionate for what we're doing. And the commitment we made when we started taking on employees was that our employees have lives and they are basing their lives and they're committing to us. And mm-hmm. if they're going to commit to us, we have to commit back to them. So you have to structure the business in such a way that you can do that, you know, kind of thing. And so that very much influenced that. And when you go back and you see how people used to run their lives, these old-fashioned ideas, these old-fashioned values, you you come to realize that they're they're old-fashioned for a reason. You know, we it's very easy for us with technology to look down on the people that came before us because we're morally superior, right? You know, you look down on people, just look and, you know, just look yeah, at Twitter. So, yeah, our, exactly. Well, our social, yeah. and not to say, people forget that these social channels, they're, they're just meant to be a tool. Yeah. And we've, we've turned and put a lot of different meaning into everything that's out there now that has yep. clouded our thought and our opinion. Go back to history. So we'll talk about social media, right? Mm-hmm. Is social media any worse than the Hearst yellow journalism that probably started the Spanish-American war over a story that was not real? The original fake I'm, news. Yeah, the original yeah. fake news. Nothing, you know, history, people say it all the time. History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And it rhymes because the common thread through everything are humans. Human nature. You can change our tools. You can give us, you know, the internet. You can give us more powerful tools. You know, you can give us the steam engine. Then you can give us electricity. And then you can give us nuclear power. And then you can give us the internet. You know, all of these things just make us, you know, make some things more capable or less capable. But the common thing through all of this is we're all humans. You know, and that's what I love about this. So, you know, whether it was the pandemic, it's like, hey, we're going to get through this. We did before with far, far less technology, you know, and we made it through. I mean, for God's sakes, you know, the, the, you know, it was the Spanish flu of 1918 and 1919. 1919 was the first World Series for the Cincinnati Reds Mm. during a pandemic. And they packed the stadium, you know, and because that was the tail end of it, you know, and like we're coming out of the tail end of this as well. And people want to, they have to have something to look forward to. And we made it through then before, and we'll make it through here now and we'll learn lessons and we'll stumble and we'll get things wrong and we'll get mad at each other and we'll yell at each other because we're Americans. And one of our core competencies is our ability to get at each other's throats, you know, and and scream and and yell, drink beer and be mad. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's one of the things also as an entrepreneur, you have to understand that there's two different kinds of criticism, right? You know, there's, there's criticism because I'm jealous of you Mm. and there's criticism because I want you to be better. When Mm. we first started the company, we focused on word of mouth. And one of the things that I relished was, you know, in the very first couple of years, if we got a bad review, I called the person personally. And I'm, I imagine because, first of all, reviews would have to probably be a big part of your success anyway of tracking your success. Reviews are a great, a great success. That you know, you have to, you know, what gets measured gets done. Like right? TripAdvisor yes. and TripAdvisor, Google. We sent out a ton of our own internal stuff, emails, because you bought a ticket from us, so I have your contact information. So we'd reach yeah. out to you and say, "How'd we do?" Yeah, How'd and if you do? got a bad, so if you did happen to get a bad review, what would that conversation sound like, and would there be a way to counteract that? It's not counteracting. What it is, is, it, you know, the way I looked at it was some people are just going to write you, you know, like we had, yeah. I remember when we first started one of our very first shops, somebody sent us an email because they didn't like the color of the paint in the bathroom. 
What? And we got a one-star review. Yeah. Yeah. One-star review. You have yellow bathrooms. I hate yellow. I remember that. <laughs> that is an idiot. That, that is just okay, one of the so things Okay, so you that's hate like, sunshine and yeah, we don't It's like, oh, you hate you. life. Okay, cool. <laughs> but it. then there's another one who's like, hey, I went on this tour and I had XYZ expectations and it didn't reach XYZ expectations. Mm. So that person, you reach out because that person doesn't hate you. That person wants you to be better. So go embrace that person. So my advice to entrepreneurs is, Go talk to those people. You know, you can ask all, you know, you know, Chris taught us, you know, from the very beginning at the, you know, the only question that really matters with your customers is at the end of the day is, would you recommend us to your friend and your family? One pig fly listeners, feel free to give us your feedback. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. Real, give, give your feedback, you know, because, yeah. because that's going to, the people who are caring enough to take the time to send you an email to say, you didn't make my expectation. Those people care. The people yeah. who don't care are like, see ya. You know? I hate yellow bathrooms. I hate yellow bathrooms. I'm done. Peace out. You know, you know, but, <laughs> but the other people truly, truly, truly want you to be better, you know, and those people are rare. You know, we've all grown, you know, we've all been around and, you know, when you grow up as a kid, you see the kids' parents are like, oh, you're special. Everything you do is wonderful. Yeah. And then you had the other parents. Yeah. Participation awards. Then you had the other parents were like, hey, you did a really good job, but these are the things you could kind of work on if you want to get better, mm-hmm. you know, and somebody who wants you to get better is a very valuable person to have in your life a little bit of that tough love. So with that, Brad, this is your moment. Okay. We're giving you one, one favorite Cincinnati history nugget. I don't know about that. I was promised at least 45 minutes. So. <laughs> All right, so we so. we were promised forty five minutes for the whole conversation. Oh, I got that wrong. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's probably important. All right, so picking out all of them, I decided to go with one goofy because that kind of matches my personality, you know, with this. Mm-hmm. And so, in researching our uh, our tour that's up by Fenley Market, it's called the Under the Market Tour. We might be mm-hmm. rebranding the name because we're not totally in love with that name, but we'll we'll see how it works. But one of the great stories that kind of comes into you know is goes back to the theme of you know. Things are so crazy now, you know, you know, we see reality TV and all that kind of stuff now. We think, oh, my God, you know, it's just about getting attention. Nobody thinks anything through, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and I go, no, 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 no. That's been going on for a very, very long time. And so this is the story. It's the story of the Bellevue House and the, um, the Mount Auburn Incline. You know, that was there. So, so Cincinnati's in a basin, obviously, right? You know, it's in a river valley. So as it grows, there's some natural barriers. When you hit those natural barriers, you need a way to get up over those hills and develop the rest of the area around it. To do that, we had inclines, right? So starting in the 1870s, we built the inclines to get people up and over that, but they were all privately funded. And the way to do that was you put entertainment places up on the hills so you could get out of the stinky city so you could enjoy your weekend. And remember, your weekend in the 1870s, 1880s was Sunday. Just Sunday. Yeah, yeah that's that it. your day of rest. That's your day of rest. That's it. Yeah. That's all you got. You know, and sometimes you didn't even get the whole day. So time is of the essence. So these inclines become very, very important because what takes, you know, a four hour trip can turn into a 45 minute trip. You know, so they built these inclines. So the Bellevue House, you know, took people up to the cli- up to Clifton. Well, these other inclines are around there. Uh, most notably, the Mount Auburn incline. They were threatened by all of this this competition. So in 1877, the Lookout House, which was the resort at the top of the Mount Auburn incline, they decided that they would do a publicity stunt and they would import a three thousand pound beluga whale. What? And put it on display inside. What? A yes. beluga whale? A beluga whale, like, yes. How the heck yes. did they get their hands on a On beluga? a train. Did they yes. just like so leave they it ca- in a tank and uh-huh. splash yeah. around? 
Yep. So these days, <laughs> it probably yeah. This is definitely not PETA approved. Yeah. So what happened is they ca- they paid someone to capture a blue whale out of the Arctic Ocean, right? Cold water animal, right? They put it on a train car filled with water and they transported it to Cincinnati. And then they had a special made tank put inside uh, a hundred sixty eight thousand gallon tank. And then they realized, oh my god this animal doesn't live in fresh water because it wasn't doing so well. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So then they just added salt. And I'm kind of thinking they didn't consult the experts at the, at the zoo either. And so what happens is they put salt into it, and they just tasted the water till they thought it tasted like salt water. Oh, my gosh. They probably killed the whale. They totally killed the whale. Yes, that's exactly what oh, happened. The poor whale. What yeah. was the, did you know the name of the whale by a chance? Um, I don't think they ever named it. Um, I think they just referred to it as the beast or, you know – yeah. And so what happens is, you know, you bring this thing in and, and, you know, it's not cold. It's horribly mistreated. You know, they, you know, the promoter that kind of did this whole thing. And I forgot his name at this point because I've got 50 million tours in my head at this point. But, you know, he had, he had sold them on this bill of goods. And so people initially came to see the beluga whale. Well, then it dies, you know, by mid July in the middle of the summer. You can imagine oh, what that smelled like. And then they gosh. realized that this thing weighs, you know, a thousand pounds, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's so heavy. So then they decide they're going to cut it up and try to sell it to people. You know, nobody wants it. And it ends up stinking up the place so badly that they had to shut down for almost an entire year and take everything back to the studs. <laughs> Wait, so, and where, where was the whale at when, when they cut it up and where was it? In still in the, yeah. Yeah. Still in the, uh, the lookout house there in Mount Auburn. Yeah. They they did everything in house. So their publicity stunt didn't really go over too well. Their publicity stunt did not go. It, it was the ultimate backfire. They should have so. taken the little whale parts and put it in their competitors. Like, you know, they little tram cars. <laughs> right. Or like, Hey, be like, Hey, Let's bring in like five horses or something to pull up on this. Li- I don't yeah, know. Something. Yeah. It's one of those things. Well, the interesting thing about that is the the promoter died on the Titanic. And when he died on the oh. Titanic, people around Cincinnati referred to it as the revenge of the white whale, <laughs> which is probably true. true. <laughs> good. Yeah. That is so, such a good story. Yeah. That's, that's a good one that we like. The other one I'll tell you guys comes from the same, same kind of area. So, you know, right next to the, uh, to the Bellevue incline, there was the Bellevue Clifton incline. There was Charles McMickens mansion. Uh, mm. If you went up the incline, it was right on the right. And so that was the original McMicken Hall. Well, you know, as McMicken Hall expands into Clifton and it becomes relocated, McMicken Hall gets located onto the main campus where it's at today. It was changed over to the law and then it was the medical school. So by the time you get to the, uh, you know, the late 1890s, you know, with that, what you have going on there is it's a medical school. And so medical schools work on cadaver bodies. And so they used a lot of the brewery tunnels around here to store the bodies and keep them cold. Mm. And then right what next would to happen the beer? is uh, right next to the beer because it's in, it's in barrels. It's good. It's fine. You're not going to hurt anything. And they'd pull them out. You know, at ice blocks and all that kind of stuff. And so they would do the medical school and things like that. But again, to show you that humans have always been humans, what would happen is the co- some of the college medical students would get drunk and they would weekend with Bernie some of the bodies <laughs> on the incline. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Oh, actually, I think Greg Hand told that story once oh, yeah. to me. I'm sure. Uh, That's yeah. hilarious. Well, and this is a whole nother. We won't go down this, but Cincinnati actually has strong roots from a mortuary standpoint, our mortuary school. Yes. Oh, that's a whole Yeah, we've got an entire haunted tour based around that. I mean, that you could talk about that for hours. So with, with that said, tell people where they can find more information about American Legacy Tours and just quickly list the tours that you offer. Okay. Um, well, you can find all of our information at AmericanLegacyTours.com. 
That's the best place to reach us online there. You know, we got all the social media stuff. You can find all that stuff very easy. Just Googling us. We're the, we're the only American Legacy tours out there. When we first started, there was like a country music series that was uh, American Legacy concert series, but they're not doing that right now because of COVID, you know, with that. So that's all. And then as far as tours go, you know, we've got a bunch of different tours. We have the underground tours, the ultimate underground tours. We have the tours of the, the Emory Theater, which is going to be redeveloped by the Children's Theater later this year. We've got three different haunted tours that we offer. We've got the gangster tour. We've got the underground tour at Finley Market, you know, with that. We've got a 1919 tour. We're the only tour company in the United States that has a tour that's in conjunction with a major league baseball team. And that's the, all about that's 1919 huge. and how that, you know, I could give to an entire talk about that. To get the approval of the MLB and more importantly, the Reds. The Reds are very big on history, mm-hmm. you know, with that. And that's another thing. If you haven't been down to the Hall of Fame and Museum, you know, they're open and they just did a giant multi-million dollar renovation. It's gorgeous. I highly recommend people go down there and take a look. And so, you know, there's all that history about, you know, how how did Cincinnati change baseball forever? You know, how the World Series was invented here. There's all this great history with that. And we're, we're coming up with new tours all the time. What's going to be the newest tour? We're working on one that we're tentatively calling Hidden Cincinnati, but we're still playing around with the name on it. And it has to do with the, the amazing hidden things in Cincinnati that are hidden in plain sight. You know, like what, for example, one of them is um, if you go down to Fountain Square and you look at the, at the genus of water at the fountain there, you know, there's these little places where there used to be a chain and a cup yep. because that was originally, you know, uh, a temperance thing. And so people would actually drink out of that. And there used to be restrooms that were underneath that. And so kind of showing those little kind of secret things and there. And that's just one little piece. There's all this stuff that's hidden in plain sight that we walk past all the time and we don't even recognize that it's there. I love that. Well, I think I think we can end on that note, knowing um, that there's some some more to come here to keep track of with American Legacy Tours. Brad, thank you so much for taking the time and chatting with us today. Yes, thank you, Brad. Allie, Patrick, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now I just have the baby beluga song <laughs> stuck in my head. I'm still blown away by the beluga story. Like, I feel bad because blugas are cute. Poor beluga. They're cute, but boy, that man is a wealth of knowledge. Oh my gosh. I think we could probably talk with him for another two hours after the podcast. <laughs> definitely. Over some bourbon. Mm, be, definitely. Would, would be a perfect evening because I love history. What I love about Brad, what I love about American Legacy Tours and what they're doing for this city, and who knows what other cities to come, right, is really resurrecting the history and what we always preach to. You can't know where you're going without knowing the past and kind of creating that big full circle loop of all of the communities and the lifestyle that lived among us back then. And it's really important to know. Well, what I loved was he kept bringing business back to people, right? And business is supposed to be about people. And he gets that. And so I think that's why they're so successful in the city and in their industry is because we brought this up. It's not about the person telling the story. It's about the story itself and -hmm. the people that you're relaying it to and providing that service for. And so I think that's a great basics of business. Yeah. And it's a great entrepreneurial message. And the fact that, you know, he's like, yeah, you think people would just be like, cutthroat in business but actually everybody was like super nice and super helpful it's like okay yeah it goes back to that people aspect yeah i think we do we get so caught up in the what's next what's next what's next in my career how do i want to you know grow progress 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 like we said when in i think i do agree with him in the sense of 
I like to believe that most people are good. And at the end of the day, yeah, sometimes we might get in a rut with our own careers and our own jobs, but we also are typically on a path and in a journey with our own stories and our own narratives to find a purpose for ourselves, for the betterment, hopefully, of other people around us. And I think he's he's a perfect example of that. And what people don't really know and what I do know about Brad and, and what he gravitates to in terms of telling his, his stories within history, he is such a big proponent of those who wanted to leave a good mark in the world. And he loves highlighting those people in history, which then, you know, shows he is such a good person. But I think, like, he, those are the same exact types of people he wants working for him, right? Yes. At America's, American Legacy Tours, right? He, it's, he's like, yeah, like, you can't, there's some things you can't train. And so mm-hmm. usually it's those people that just do it from a pure passion and for a love of people, people. and for a love of storytelling. Stories, because that's the, he said that's the one thing that we can have that we've all started with way, way back when, the caveman days. And what I will be curious to see moving forward with American Legacy Tours is how they start to incorporate the digital world into their business. We didn't really get a chance to talk about that, but I think that's something I think everybody should keep an eye out for because the way that we, yeah, and the way, seriously, and the way as he grows, but the way that we storytell has changed. You know, us as human beings, the way we communicate is still one-on-one, but whether that one-on-one is through a screen or through a paper or in person, it's just a different tool. So we'll see where that goes. And with that, I think this is a perfect time to prost. Shall we prost? Let's prost. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Ali Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interest in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts Company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employ us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on this show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.